I have chosen tonight uh, a portion of the 136th Psalm, thanksgiving to God for his enduring mercy. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. He who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. And if you will go home tonight and continue to read the remainder of this psalm, you will see that it is filled with a testimony of how God had blessed Israel and delivered them from many dangers and troubles, and how he had seen to their every need. Each of them, each of these testimonies followed by, for his mercy endures forever. Obviously, this psalm was used at the temple for worship, and that the priest at the temple would read the phrase, and the people would respond, for his mercy endures forever. But I know that it begins with the words, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. In the mid-1990s, I was directing a program that sent me all across the United States and a, por a portion of the of rest of the world as well. And uh, the uh, opportunity came up for our board to send me to India for a time. And uh, I did, I'll be honest, I, I was not really wanting to go to India because I had read much about it and I knew it would be a difficult work and I knew I'd be gone from my family for a considerable time. But the director of our board said, Gerald, whether you want to go or not, you're going. We're not sending somebody else, we're sending you. And I did not realize at the time, but that was part of God's plan. You know, for those, those of us who are saved, there are no accidents, there's no such thing as luck. It's all in the providence of God. And I boarded the plane and uh, San Francisco, and a team of us flew all night and all the next day, it's a long way, uh, to India, landing in the city of Madras. Now, the reason I am bringing up this account is tonight is that you know that um, Elizabeth, being an English teacher, she's always writing that, and she'd always tell her students as they learn to write, to compare and contrast. Compare 
and contrast. That our spirit within us of thanksgiving might grow. I want to do a little bit of comparing and contrasting tonight. We who live in the United States have been so showered with blessings that we really almost take them for granted sometimes. That we just assume that when we get up in the morning, there's going to be food in the refrigerator. There's going to be electricity to cook that food. That we're going to go through the day. If we need medical care, we have it. If we need to purchase gasoline, we have it. If we need electricity, we have it. We just are surrounded with those things. Most of us don't have to worry about having clothes We have to just worry, what suit or what dress am I going to wear today? India opened my eyes. I know some of you have been on mission trips here and have seen poverty. I saw poverty far beyond what I could imagine. I saw cruelty beyond what I could imagine. When we landed in Madras, it was the middle of the night, and we boarded a bus to go out to the hotel where we were going to stay. And riding on our bus was the man that would be our team leader for the whole period we were there, Dr. William Scott, Northern Irishman, who went to to India at 19 as a missionary from his church, the Presbyterian Church of Ireland, and he, and he said that he'd made his mind up after the first two weeks, as soon as his term of a year was over, he was going back to Pennsylvania. He was, his, he was living in Pennsylvania. He'd married a Pennsylvania girl, and, um, and he said he was never going back to India. Well, he drew his last breath in India a few years ago. But he pointed out as we drove, you know, we can't imagine, we think about homeless situations here, and it's bad. I don't want to make light of it. But when you drive the roads in India, all along the roads are people with scraps of material to cover them and to lay down, hopefully, and, and fires burning and people cooking in tin cans if they have anything to cook. And it's just like one continuous bedroom as you drive by, but there's no really room there and no real beds and many of the people have mere rags on and he said that these people come here every night and when they leave someone else takes their place to sleep during the day unimaginable poverty A number of things impressed that upon me, the the great poverty they live with. In India, Dr. Scott said, you never give to the beggars. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Because you see, in India, the beggars are owned by the mafia, the Indian mafia. And they will put these people out to beg and then take their money and give them a bowl of rice and a place on the street to sleep for all their begging 
That's how their day ends. You will see little children that will just tug at your heartstrings. You want to give to them. They, they, they will be walking in all kinds of odd fashions, some like a crab and this and that. But what you don't realize is that the mafia goes into villages and will buy a little baby. The people are so poor, they, in order to save their little children, sometimes they will sell their own child. And then the mafia will intentionally break that child's limbs and reset them at odd angles and put them out to end a life, to, to have a life of, of beggary. And the beggars never run away because they know if they run away and are caught, the mafia will kill them. To see that kind of suffering. I'll never forget one day I... I was walking down this dirt road in a village, and this mother came with a little girl. She looked to be about eight years old, and, uh, and she had a great infection in, her, in the joint of her elbow. Now, if you li- she'd been living in America with us, she would have never got to that point. But I asked the mother, I said, I said, uh, what happened to this child? And she said, oh, she scratched it on a thorn a few days ago. And it became this way and said, I've been bathing it, but it is getting no better. And I said, where have you been bathing it? She says, from the water in the stream here. Well, that water is also used to dump garbage and every other kind of filth. She didn't know that every time she bathed that arm, she was bathing it with all kinds of pathogens and and viruses and bacteria. So I explained to her that she needed to boil the water if she was going to wash the child. And, and I, I looked into my backpack and I had a bar of Dial soap. Now this is not a commercial for Dial, but as you know, Dial does have antibacterial properties. That's why Eddie always smells so good. But, but the... I gave her this bar of soap and I had a jar of a bottle of peroxide and I told her wash it, boil the water and I gave her a, a, a cloth I had, wipe it and put the peroxide on and then and that's all I could do I don't know if the child lived or died, my guess is she died but we, we, are, we are so blessed we can take our children to the doctor and we can find something better than peroxide and dial soap. And that, that hit me again and again. I never will forget that the, the, the people were always in the area was uh, looking hungry. I mean, food is hard to come by in some places. I remember one day out from Madras, which is down in south central India, uh, I mean, in... in um, um, Town slips my mind getting old, Ray. Uh, uh, Hyderabad. Down from Hyderabad, which is half Muslim and half Hindu, we went out to, to this village to preach, and, uh, and there was a young man there who uh, was a deacon in the church, and their church was a, a brush arbor. That's all they had in front of the, one of the members' house. And incidentally, most of the people that convert to Christ in India are untouchables that's the lowest caste 
And, uh, you know, Hinduism teaches reincarnation. And unless you live a virtuous life, if you don't pile up enough good karma, you'll be born the next time in a worse state than what you are. And that's how most Indians feel, that they will never break the chain of, of reincarnation. And, and um, this young man uh, who had been a Hindu uh, asked me, but become a Christian. Now, when, a, when an untouchable becomes a Christian, he no longer has a caste, so the Indian money takes what, Indian government takes what little welfare money he gets away from him. But I, this young man asked me to go over and bless his house. That's a custom in Asia, not only in India, but in China and Japan and, and those cultures. So I went over to have a blessing in his house, and he had a real house. But walking over there, we walk through where the untouchables live, and the untouchables are given the worst place in the village, and it's the lowest ground. And you know India has the monsoons, and the lowest ground always gets flooded. The untouchables' houses were made of a mixture of clay and cow manure, built up into walls about the height of this. And then they cover them with whatever scraps of tin or wood or whatever they can find. But when the monsoons come, those houses dissolve and they're out in the rain. They have an unbelievable infant mortality rate among the untouchables. But we walk through this village, a portion of the village untouchable, to his house. And at his house he told me about coming to Christ. He said, I thought I had to be born many, many times again. But he said, the best news I ever had was that I only had to be born one more time. When Dr. William Scott preached the gospel, and I believed, and I was born again, I knew that my next state would be far better than this. But in the course of time, he learned, wanted to learn to read the Bible, which he did, and it ended up getting him a job as the male uh, postmaster for this little village, and able to get his family out of those mud huts. But as we walked over through them, he said, I was born an untouchable. And Jesus Christ changed my life, not only eternally, but in this world. He was so grateful. And yet still he didn't have a lot. But as I contrast India and his poverty, and I, ju I just don't have the time tonight to tell you about how hard it is for Indians, particularly Indian Christians, how hard it is for people just to get by. You know, uh, I, th I think that when our mission team went to Dominica and we, we left our, your clothing behind, right, most of it, I did that as well. I gave my extra shirt and pants to some Indian pastors. Contrast. Now think of our life. Think of how God has blessed you. Most of us have very decent homes. It's getting cold, isn't it? We'll go home to the parsonage tonight, and we have gas in the furnace. We'll be warm. And I'm sure the same is the case with you. And you'll get up in the morning, and you'll have a good breakfast. And you look in your bank account, and hopefully you've got a few dollars there even. Your children will be 
put on school buses and taken to school and they'll be dressed well and they'll be warm and they'll get an education. Most of the world has nothing like that. And as terrible as India is, there are places that are worse. And yet we Americans have been blessed beyond the imagination of the rest of the world. Thursday, we're all going to sit down to a feast. It won't just be a meal. It'll be a feast. Now, I'm going to be eating with all those hillbilly relatives of mine. And I told my niece, Rita, I said, now you be sure and bring uncle's favorite corn dish. She makes a corn dish with cream cheese and jalapeno peppers. And uncle always eats a big plate of that. I'd pay for it later, but I enjoyed it at the time. But we'll sit down to a sumptuous meal. Most of the world will sit down with very little to eat. The Africans in Africa, most of them in the rural areas, will sit down and be grateful for boiled dried corn, mush. And they eat that every day if they get it. And we could go through all the nations where there's poverty. The poor people of Venezuela are eating out of garbage cans. Now that's because of the sinfulness of man. But nonetheless, just contrast and compare what we have. Why has the Lord blessed us? Because he's merciful. There is no explanation. We don't deserve it. All that we have. You know, I always remind us here at church sometimes that, especially with hearing the gospel, you, God could have allowed you to be born in a place where you never heard the gospel. Oh, what a terrible thing that would be. That would be worse than having no food. When your family sits down, remind them that this is not about a big meal. This is about thanking God for what we have. And not only should we thank God for what, what we have, if we take the contrast seriously, we will begin to look for opportunities to minister to those people that are so unfortunate. Now, everybody knows how stingy I am. If you don't believe it, talk to Elizabeth. She has to beg and beg for me to buy her anything. But each month I give a sum of money. Not my tithes to the church, but I've got a daughter, my granddaughter, that I've never met and probably never will meet. And I help pay for her schooling. And I help pay for her food. Her name, and she lives in the Philippines. A, a mother whose husband was killed. And she's so poor. But I rejoice. Because I've seen poverty. And I rejoice that I'm able to help alleviate that poverty. And this church does so much. You know, this mission money we send out does so much. 
compare and contrast. I hope you'll do a little of that tonight before you go to bed when you pray. I hope you will reflect upon the great poverty which so many people have and the great blessings and material wealth that we have. Each person in here may not realize it, but in some parts of the world, many parts of the world, you would be considered as wealthy as you would consider a multimillionaire yourself. Compare and contrast in your prayer time tonight and up to Thanksgiving. And I promise as you reflect upon God's goodness, if you look deep into your heart, and if your mind has reflected upon just some of the examples I've given you tonight, you cannot help but give thanks to God with a grateful heart. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. He has chosen to allow you to be born in the best place on earth. Why did you deserve it? No, we don't know why except that he's merciful towards us. A believer should have in their heart a constant sense of gratitude to God. And we who have been blessed abundantly not only with the gift of salvation, but with the gift of material abundance, and we do have it, Every person in this room has an abundance. Give thanks with a grateful heart. But I hope that we will also feel a sense that that gratitude must extend not only to words, but to deeds, to those who have not. That's a part of the Christian life. If you truly thank God, it will not only be in your thoughts and reflections, but it will be in your actions. You did a little thing tonight in bringing food, but that little thing will make a great difference in somebody's life. Give thanks with a grateful heart. I want to close by telling one, one story. You know, most of us in America are doing all right, but sometimes tragedies happen, I mean, and people are put in distress. But Lynn and I were in the office about a year and a half ago and I confess, many of the people we hear help that we never see again. And, you know, the deacons, they make available some money that if I feel is needed, I just call them and they get approval. And I was in, we were in our office, and this young woman came in, and she was walking with crutches, her feet wrapped. And it turns out that she is not a native of America. She, has here, she is here legally. She was from France, and she w was very embarrassed 
Ray, I think you were chair of the Deacon Board when this happened, maybe. And uh, she'd been at work, and her, her feet, she worked two jobs. Her feet were injured, crushed, in fact, by something that fell. And she, she lost her job there, and, uh, and then she was also working at a convenience store. The story was that she was not only trying to take care of herself, but her father in France had cancer. Her mother was Moroccan. Her mother had died, and she was trying to help her father as well, and she says, but I have not been able to work, and they're going to put me out of my little apartment, and I don't have any food to eat. Could you please help? So, Lynn went in and dug into your old stash, filled her a box of food, I called the deacons and told them something. They gave her $500. Well, seven months went by. And Lynn and I were at the office, and there was a knock on the door, and it was this young woman, and she was walking fine, and she said, I have gone back to work, and I have $200 of the, the 500 you gave me, and I want to give it back. Now, that doesn't happen often. And I said to her, and the deacons know I did this. I said to her, keep that money, honey. The Lord Jesus loves you, and we want you to know it. Contrast and compare. As God has blessed us, so let us bless others. That will show our thankfulness unto the Father with grateful hearts.